All right, everybody, welcome to Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH. Thank you so very much for joining us here on the set. Uh, your followership, your viewership is absolutely important to us. And thank you so very much for tuning in every single week to the podcast. Remember, wherever you are watching us from, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Instagram. Did I say that twice? I said that twice. So I meant to say uh, whatever the other social media platform is. Uh, like, follow, subscribe, comment, share. Uh, wherever you access your podcast from Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, wherever it may be, you can find Studio B right there as well. We're quickly approaching 5,000 subscribers. We desperately uh, need your help in getting to 10,000, uh, which is our goal by the end of summer. And I know that we can do it with your help. So everybody, here we are on this wonderful day that the Lord has made. I got a couple of different things. This is going to kind of be a preview to what's coming up. Um, we have a um, a podcast series that I am entitling Normalizing Success, and to which I'm going to bring some very uh, successful African-American men and women on the podcast to share their story, um, how they got to where they went, uh, what type of obstacles they had to overcome, so on and so forth. Uh, but today, I want to kind of stir the pot a little bit uh, in a biblical way, in a nice, um, uh, uh, friendly way, stir the pot. I, I want to kick back against a, a little bit about what's going on today. Um, last week, I did a symposium uh, that'll be airing here on the second week of May. I'll drop that information on next week's podcast um, to where I was a guest on the panel and we were discussing all things race relations. Um, we had a, um, of course, myself being a black man, I, I, I am a black man, as you can see, been a black man for the last 48 years. Um, we had an Asian American on there. We had a Caucasian. Uh, we had an Hispanic American on there. We actually had um, um, an Indian, uh, someone from the tribal Indians uh, there. So it was a, a very diverse group of people. Um, we were talking about what America looks like in 2021 and the problems that we are facing and how do we move past it. Now, there are times in which I get a little bit nauseated because we are constantly talking about race. Um, it's always in the news. Um, there's something always uh, under the, you know, the landscape of our land. So I'm, I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm a little bit uh, anxious uh, at times to talk about race because I think the more and more um the more and more attention that you get it, the bigger and bigger it becomes. So I, I try to make sure that I'm engaging in areas where I can make a difference and bring a voice of reason um, to the conversation. I don't just like to talk just for the sake of talking because I don't believe that it accomplishes a whole lot. But with that said, we had a broad uh, range of discussion from economics to education to entrepreneurship to um, the black family to crime to all of these different components that are going into our race relations. And what does that mean for the advancement of race relations here in America? Um, America is um, the it, it, I don't want to call it the beacon of the world. But a lot of people look at America and then take their cues from it. And so America, in a lot of ways, uh, leads the world in so many different areas. And race relations, I believe, in, in America is uh, quickly getting to a point to where we 
are trying to revert back to where we came from. And so this uh, this little symposium, this this uh, roundtable discussion that I participated in last week, which was very fruitful, by the way, um, and that'll be airing in the second week of May. And I'll, again, I'll drop a link to that uh, once they have done all that they needed to do and then pass it on to me. Now, you know, we still got a lot going on right now in in um, our world. Um, the Derek Chauvin case has recently now been delivered to the jury. Um, so it is in the hands of the jury. I actually watched the entire Derek Chauvin case from opening statements to closing statements, um, simply because I wanted to be informed um, and not informed by what the media told me, uh, what they chose to give to me, but I wanted to be informed. And so I made sure that I watched the Derek Chauvin case from beginning to end. And even when I couldn't watch it live, I would go back and catch myself up on all things Derek Chauvin and the George Floyd case. And so when I make an opinion on the George Floyd case and all of the things that will be happening in the next coming uh, days and weeks, I will be making an informed decision and informed opinion based on what I saw. Okay. So it was a very, very interesting case. Very, very interesting case. Um, As I said a couple of weeks ago, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for them to come back with anything less than a guilty verdict. Um, They did play a lot of things to the chest and did not allow a lot of that information to get out. And I think that that was a very wise move um, and not allowing all the evidence to be seen by the public and the media um, as to taint um, uh, the, the case and making sure that we had the most fairest case um, that we could possibly have. And so that's in the hands of the jury right now. I'm sure that uh, we'll hear something back here very, very shortly. Um, right now, you know that Minnesota and areas surrounding are a powder keg. Um, uh, I, I just want to say that the, the answer, uh, and I know Martin Luther King said the rioting is the voice of the unheard. Um, but in Martin Luther King's day, that was a very different demographic than the demographic that we're facing today. So there is a powder keg happening that if they don't get the outcome by which they are hoping and demanding that they've already, um, that they have already promised that it is going to be held to pay, uh, in the streets of America. And so there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, of course we got Dante Wright. Um, that just happened. Um, we have uh, Adam uh, Salido in uh, Chicago. We got a lot of different things happening, but I want to I want to provide, if I can, some context here, um, because context is important. As a biblical preacher, I always tell people, if you don't get the text, then you just get con. So, of all of the Bible verses in the Bible, if somebody just picks out one verse. And then they manipulate that verse to try to say what they wanted to say to fit the particular narrative that they may be in. Uh, The problem with that is that you have scriptures before and you have scriptures after. So in order to get the full weight of that particular text, you have to dive into the contextual uh, aspect of that verse. And so that means if you are quoting Luke chapter number five, verse number 15, you have to understand that there are 14 verses before you get to verse 15. And then there are verses after verse number 15. And so you just like you will start at Luke chapter number five. There's also Luke chapter one, two, three, and four. And so as preachers, what we've learned to do is not study the Bible in sections or in verses. We study the Bible in books or in paragraphs um, because it gives you a contextual 30,000 foot view so that you don't go out there naming and claiming it and blabbing it and grabbing it. 
Well, in that same way that I've been doing that for all of my uh, pastoral life, or most of it, um, when I got out of school, I, I try to bring that same contextualization over into um, my everyday life. Uh, because a lot of us like to point at the moment, live in the moment, but really not understand what's going on through the moment. And so I got some stuff here that I want to share with you, because if you listen to the podcast in any length of time for um, if you've heard me on this particular platform and other ones that I've spoken on, I have taken the position that uh, I don't stick my head in the sand and say that racism does not exist. Um, you know that I've bring forth stats and I bring forth uh, the data that can show that there are still some systemic issues in our land that absolutely need to be addressed. But I like to talk about the issues that can close those gaps, the financial gaps, the educational gaps, uh, especially within our prison system and our judicial system. Uh, we talk about very specific issues on how we can fix those problems. And so I don't broad, I don't blanket the entire uh, black community um, because of one issue that is going on in the black community. One issue going on in the black community does not define the entire black community. Uh, just like it wouldn't define an issue going on in the Hispanic community, does not define the entire Hispanic community or any other community thereof. So we really got to look at these particular cases, not in the vacuum of the moment, but look at it from a 30,000 foot view about what it means for the entire um, um, uh, population. And so in, 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 and so what I do is I try and I believe this uh, family to the depths of my being. I believe that empowerment is better than giving people crutches who are not hurt. I believe that empowering people, I believe in, in pushing people past um, their area of comfort can ultimately help them to grow and to expand and to experience all that God has called for them to be. And, and I believe that. And, and I believe that even more specifically when we're talking about black people. So I wanna, I wanna talk to you about some facts, not opinions, some facts that are verifiable facts that anybody who has the time to go back and look at it can find um, these particular um, stats. And my main uh, thing will, of course, be um, um, the blackdemographics.com. It's all things black demographic. Uh, you can find any information that you want about black America, where we at, where we're going, where we've been. Um, and then I'm also going to use the government's, the Federal Bureau of Statistics, to show you where black America is. Okay, black America, black America, because black America is always on the forefront. And, and I'm going to say some stuff, um, and I'm going to say it lovingly because I love you. Um, and please hear me. If you know me, you know that I love you. Uh, but I'm not going to shy away from telling you the truth because I got to be able to speak truth to wherever, um, wherever there is error. So the black population in America, as it stands right now, in 2021, we make up 14.6% of the total populace in America. Now, that's going to differ, maybe a percentage point, half of a percentage point, based on whatever uh, data that you use. But for this particular podcast, I'm using blackdemographics.com, and you'll find that the black population in America is 47.8 million uh, black people in America, which makes up roughly about 14.6% of the population. So we got 47 million uh, African Americans or black people that reside in these United States. 
in all 50 states. Okay, and we'll talk about what that looks like in regards to state by state, which has the highest, which has the lowest. But right now you got 47.8 million African-Americans that reside in the United States, 14.6% of the population. I want you to make sure that you keep that in mind because that's a very, very important number. Uh, that number is not growing by leaps and bounds. And so this idea that, um, you know, white people on the other side, which make up roughly about 71% of the population, they are concerned about the black and browning of America. They shouldn't be concerned about the blacking of America because the statistics about black growth in America are going up minute in minute numbers. So they're not worried about the blacking of America with more black people coming into America. They're worrying about, and they are interested in the browning of America. Because in the next 15 to 20 years, black people are going to be, again, the minority by a large percentage. Uh, the Hispanic population will not only pass us, they will leapfrog us within the next 15 to 25 years. And so when you're looking at African-American statistics here in the United States of America, I want you to look at, and this is my little prelude to next week or next month's podcast. I want to look at black females. There are 166 million females in America, and that makes up white, black, Hispanic, uh, Asian, and every populace there in between. Out of that 166 million, you got about 22 million of them that are black females. And the median age is right around 36 years old. 18 years or younger is right at 49%, okay? So we got 22 million African-American females um, who are in the United States of America. Now, I'm talking about the state of black America, not from an individual place, um, not from a news headline, but I'm talking about black America as it stands right now. We make up 14.6% of the total populace in America. Out of that 14%, out of that 47 million people, 22 million of those are female. Now, black females are doing historically well. Not just good, they're doing well. 59% of them have attended college. Now, when you look at the populace of all women that include white, black, Hispanic, Asian, thereof, and all those other ethnicities based into one category, 63% of all women attend college. But 59% of African-American women have achieved college, have gone to college. 24% of that number have achieved a bachelor's degree or higher. Now, when you're looking at the total populace of all women that have achieved bachelor degrees or um, higher, you'll see that that's 33 percent. So African-American women are getting 24 percent of bachelor degrees and higher. They are graduating at a two to one degree as it states to women to men. And total populace of women is 33 percent of all women have a bachelor's degree or higher. Out of the black women that have less than a high school diploma, we're at 13% of that 22 million, less than 13% of them have less than a high school diploma. When you look at the populace 
11% of all women have less than a high school diploma. So we're 2% above the average of those who do not have a high school diploma. When you look at the educational attainment, bachelor degree or higher, we talked about that at 24%. Now, watch this. Now, this is important. The graduate or professional degree, okay, we're talking about masters, we're talking about PhDs. Black women are 10%. The national average is 13 So black women that are getting graduate, uh, masters, and PhDs are at 10%. The total populace of women, uh, of all the women, and let's see how many women, 166 million of them are at 13%. So when you're looking at black women, just black women, just, just black women, black women are moving the needle in education and they're in, uh, uh, in, in other uh, um, categories as well. So how is black America doing right now in 2021? Well, the story is, is that black America is doing pretty bad. Like the, 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 if, if you read any, if you look at any headline, if you look at the news, um, if you look at the social media sites, apparently black America is struggling. Black America is oppressed. Black America is held back. Black America is caught up in the web of racism where the white man has his knee on our neck and, and, and allowing us to not move forward. Um, when you're looking at the total populace of what's going on in our world, apparently black America is not doing very well. And what I've always said and I continue to say is that we got to not look at these moments in isolated events because the isolated event will absolutely um, put into concrete status, whatever belief that you may have. So when you're looking at the George Floyd case and you're looking at the heinous crime of the George Floyd case and what uh, Officer Chauvin did to George Floyd by placing his knee on his neck and and that nine minutes and I think 26 seconds, I think is a total time frame uh, that the prosecution was dealing with. And, and he and he breathed his last. When you're looking at that, that's pretty that's pretty discouraging. Uh, it's pretty discouraging when you're looking at that in that moment. And it's very, very tempting to look at that moment and broad stroke the entire thing. And that's to one side or the other. Right. And I think when we're looking at uh, black America, black America has to be in a place to where we can look at black America, not in isolated events, but as a whole. Because if you're looking at if you're looking at these things in isolated events, then things don't look like they're getting very good. They don't look like they're getting better. They don't look like they are moving uh, in a in an upward trajectory. So when you're looking at this thing about black women and, and black women, the reason why I'm starting with black women is because again, next week um, when we do our podcast, I'm going to do a thing called normalizing success um, because we in the black community we want to celebrate things and we want to celebrate them at, at high, high measures. And, and my thinking has always been, okay, a black person has graduated college. Uh, we shouldn't throw a parade for a black person graduating college because black people graduate quality, uh, college all the time. Like, it's just what we do. Uh, we don't throw a parade when a black person gets a master's. It's a great accomplishment, but black people get master's all the time. As if we're not capable of getting bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and, and PhDs and the such, right? As if we're not capable of attaining high levels of achievement. As if we're not capable of attaining CEO status and COO status and CFO status and being the heads of our industry and 
at having businesses and employees and things of that nature. As if when we do this, there needs to be a whole lot of fanfare because a black person has achieved a high level of success in America. My, my contention has always been black people have always been successful. Uh, it's within our DNA, black people. And this is not to uh, separate black people in this regard from any other race. But it's always like we want to celebrate these milestones as if these milestones come few and far in between. Uh, all you got to simply do, um, if you don't know any successful people, let me just tell you this. They are out there. Uh, there are numerous amounts of successful people in every level of industry in every level of industry. Do you know that women outnumber men in the medical industry as um, medical doctors? There are, far more, there are far more women doctors than they are men doctors. Uh, black women in particular are attaining medical, um, th their medical practice degrees at a record uh, rate. Uh, the, 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 the advancement of black America in America right now has been phenomenal. And the numbers I'm going to show you will absolutely bear that out. Now, let's look at occupation type. And again, I'm talking about black women, age 16 or older, in white collar jobs, white collar jobs, of course, or, or, or business jobs or high level professional jobs, you know, and whatever accounting thereof and, and, and all those things that come along with that. White collar jobs, for the purposes of this chart, white collar jobs include but are not limited to jobs in management, business, computers, office, legal, education, and et cetera. So black women, again, 22 million, 22 million in America, 64% have white collar jobs. All women, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, and all women are at 71%. So the average for women in white collar jobs is at 71%. Black women are at 64%. So that gap is 7%. So we, we, got a, we got a gap of 7% between the national medium and where we are right now with black women, 64%. Blue-collar jobs. Blue-collar occupations include employment in construction, maintenance, repair, installation, production, and transportation, et cetera. Black women are at 8% in blue-collar jobs. The national average for all women, watch this, is 8%. So right now, black women have 8% is the average mean. Black people are, black women are at 8% for blue collar jobs. Service occupations. Service occupations include healthcare support, protective services, food preparation, and service, and serving, et cetera. Black women are at 28%. The national average is 21%. So again, that gap is 7%. And we're talking about occupation types. But apparently, again, here's why I'm bringing up all this information. Because if you look at any news source right now, black America is struggling. Black America is not doing well. Black America is, is not doing well in America right now. If you look at anybody that is talking about anything, and but the numbers don't bear that out. The numbers don't bear out the entire populace. And again, please hear me, saints. Please hear me, everybody. Please hear me on the other side of that camera, on the other side of that podcast. Please hear me. You can't look at events in isolated moments. Okay, because if you do that, the numbers will always 
be skewed. Okay? So when you're talking about occupation types, all right, women in the labor force, uh, women in the labor force, uh, females age 16 to 64, black women make up 72% of the labor force. All women, 71%. Percent of labor force who are employed, 92% black females. The national average is 95%. Work full time year round of females 16 years or older is at 35%. The national average is 48%. So that is a 13% difference in those who work full-time year-round. Now, here's one of the things that I've talked about that we have to be able to address because this number is going to tell you where we at and why we need to close some of these gaps. And there are specific things that we can do in order to close this gap. The, ag- the annual earnings of $50,000 or more of females who work full-time, black women, 26%. Now, again, this is annual earnings over 50000 or more for black women or women who work full-time. They're at 26%. The national average is 48%. So you got almost a 20-point difference, a little over a 20-point difference when you're talking about the annual earnings of $50,000 or more for women. For all women, it's 48%. For black women, it's at 26%. So when I sat on this podcast and talked about the economic gaps that exist, the educational gaps that exist, and then we talk about grassroots measures that can close those gaps, how to close the financial gap between the have and the have-nots, how to make certain, how to make your money work for you, how to create generational wealth so that your kids start off uh, in the positive. How do we do those things? How does the black unit, the black family, the black black Americans, African-Americans, how do we close these gaps? There are absolutely um, grassroots things that we could be doing right now in order to close these gaps. One of the ways in which you close the gaps of economic between the have and the have nots is by increasing your education. Okay, by getting more educated, you're edu- the more you learn, the more you earn. It is a golden rule of life that what you know, they got to pay you for. So the more that you learn, the more that you earn. You increase your pay scale as your education goes up. OK, that's just the rule of life, everybody. Now, I'm not saying that you got to go to college to a four year degree, to an eight year degree, to a Ph.D. and beyond. What I'm saying about education is that you get educated, whether that's in a particular skill set or whether that's going back to school, because by increasing your education, you close the economic gap. You begin to make more money with that in which, you know. OK, so one of the ways that we do that is by getting more education. And black women are far exceeding black men in this regard. Now, I want you to see this. <laughs> this is some things that we don't want to talk about in the black community. Um, man, I, I wish I didn't have to, you know, um, I'm trying to think of how I can say this in a very, I want to know why the young black man, young black woman who has gone through the struggles of life, who has 
overcome certain things and have achieved certain things in life, why they're not being interviewed by all these news stations or why they're not the topic of conversation. Um, They came from nothing, now they're something. And why is not that person the norm, the face of black America? Um, The face of black America and where we typify black America is in, and and please hear my heart on this, everybody. Um, The isolated events don't make up black America. These are some of the things in which we have to talk about if we're going to move the needle and really try to get away from all of this rhetoric, um, all of this insightful speech on both sides that is doing nothing but adding fuel to the fire. This is where I believe black America, as Martin Luther King said, is the greatest purveyor of themselves of the ones that are in the house, right? So the greatest example to black America is black America. Here's a uh, statistic that is troubling in in a lot of ways, especially for me, because I've talked about this so many times. Uh, Black women in households and responsibilities. Households headed by a woman. And in this case, uh, we're talking about black demographics, black women versus um, all other women. So households headed by the woman is at 27%. The national average is 12. Giving birth while married is 37%. The national average is 66. Living below the poverty line is at 24. The national average is at 14. When you see the isolated events that are happening, um, I have the privilege, um, a very um, great privilege that I thank God for that I know a lot of people in law enforcement. I know a lot of people in law enforcement. I know um, white officers, black officers, Hispanic officers. Um, I know a lot of people in law enforcement. And so especially with all the stuff that's going on in law enforcement, Um, I have the ability to come alongside, call them up on the phone to get their perspectives about what they are seeing, you know, the lay of the land and the headlines that are pervasive through our through our nation. And they provide me with some great insight. Uh, It provides me with some great insight because I'm talking to people that are actually in that particular field that have an expertise and an experience that I cannot myself enjoy because I'm not in the field. I'm not in the squad cars. I'm not, you know, making the arrests. I'm not making the traffic stops. I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm not engaged with the communities and ways in which they are. So I make sure that I try to come alongside of them and, and try to get their perspective about what's going on in the land, especially right now. You know that it's a powder keg when we're talking about police reform and all the things that are going on in America right now. So I have a great uh, a great privilege to be able to talk to them in ways to gain some insight um, about where we are in our nation. And one of the things that I think we don't talk about a lot, and maybe just because it's taboo, and anybody um, that talks about this from this perspective is 
um, averting the conversation, dodging the conversation, um, and even even to even to the 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 the, the upteenth degree, they're sellouts if they don't buy into the narrative. And so when I'm talking to these officers that are out there, I'm trying to get their perspective. And, and let me just let me let me say this. Uh, I'm I'm going to say this. Um, as I talk to many officers, five of them to be exact, three of them here at the Church of Bethel's family and two, one that lives right around the corner from my house and then another one that I know um, in regards to this particular Dante Wright uh, situation. Uh, Dante Wright, of course, um, 20-year-old um, that lost his life at the hands of the young lady in Minneapolis um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, the consensus across the board, this 26-year veteran um, said that she mistakenly pulled her gun as opposed to her taser. Um, everybody that I've talked to on the other side of that has said that there is no correlation between the way that your gun, your Glock, and your taser feel. You automatically know the difference. Your gun is always going to be on your dominant side to be controlled um, in a firing scenario, your taser is always going to be on your less dominant side. So there's no way, and I won't say no way, but it's very unlikely, um, hard to kind of phantom how she thought of her gun being the same way as her taser. From what these cops have told me is um, the adrenaline rush of what was going on at that time um, it puts puts you in a very, very vicarious position where you are now having to decipher all of this information all at one time. Um, so there's several conversations out there, but all of the officers that I've talked about absolutely know the difference between a gun and a taser. And I think anybody that you talk to, anybody that you talk to will be able to tell you that same thing. Um, so she is going to be held. She got charged with negligent homicide. Um, which is a um, applicable charge for her. Uh, she will not get charged with first degree murder. It was not premeditated. She will get charged with negligent homicide um, and she will be convicted on it. Um, it is a second degree uh, murder charge, may even be a third degree murder charge, but she will um, in all likelihood be indicted um, because that was negligent at 26 years on the force. Um, and you being a leader in the force on the honor guard, um, having all of these distinctions and all of these things that are attributed to your career, um, you should have known better than your gun and or your taser. OK, now that's the, the that's the baseline facts of what we're talking about right now. And nobody disagrees with that. Nobody, no officer, um, no nobody with any sense um, disagrees with the fact that she should have known her taser from her gun, considering that she's 26 years in the force. And as a matter of fact, when you look at it, the officer that actually put the handcuffs on Dante Wright was a black man. And this black man was in training, being trained by the white officer of 26 years. But can I ask you, if you've looked at the video, the entire video, not the snippet, the entire video. Can I ask a question that the officers want to ask? But and, and let me just share this before I say that. I said at the symposium um, last week, giving you a little bit of inside information on that. Um, the white, um, my white counterparts in in all these different segments, 
they are in a position to where they said to me, Pastor Roman, we, we want to speak about this, but we just don't know what to say. Because if we don't say the right thing, then we are held as racist, as insensitive to not understanding what's going on. And when we're talking about this, it is a very real conversation. So I want to say something in regards to this particular situation that we're going to, I'm going to have an officer on. He's not going to be on until the month of June, but I'm going to have an officer on who patrols high crime areas. Dante Wright, if you look at the video, everything was going right all the way up until he resisted arrest. Uh, he had been pulled over because of his expired registration, um, which is why he got pulled over. Um, after they run their, uh, their name, you get your driver's license, your insurance, and, of course, they go back to their car. They type in their little computer, pull up, make sure everything's good. If anybody's ever been pulled over, you know this is what happens. Um, and after pulling up their name in the computer, they come back, and Dante Wright has a warrant for his arrest. There's another passenger on the passenger side of the car. The black officer comes up. You can see this clearly on video. And here's one of the things that has come out for police reform. Um, and these are not, and, and this is across the board. Um, the only the only exception to that is in very, very, very exclusive cases. But every police force has now made the designation that they're going to release body cam footage within the first 48 hours of any incident and the full footage. So um, the full footage is available. I've watched it numerous times. Uh, the full footage is available even with uh, Brother um, uh, Salido in Chicago. The full footage is available to be seen. So as they come back to the car and they tell Dante Wright that he has a warrant and that they are taking him in, uh, not to prison, they're taking him to county jail for this warrant, the stop is uh, amicable. There's no confrontation. Uh, he's not saying, you know, F the cops. They're not calling him this. It's a very, very ca uh, calm situation. Nothing is going on. Uh, the black cop is now coming, taking Dante right out of the driver's side, asking him to step outside of the vehicle, to which he asked Dante right to turn around. And then he begins to proceed to put the cuffs on Dante by putting his hands behind his back. This particular black officer who is cuffing Dante Wright, not the white officer. The white officer is the one that went back there and ran his number. So she still has his license in her hand. Uh, you can see this in the body cam footage. The black officer is the one that is putting the cuffs on um, young Dante Wright. You can tell that this officer is new because he doesn't know how to manipulate the cuffs. And so he's fiddling around trying to close the cuffs to what looks like his left hand. His right hand is already secured, and he's trying to fiddle the cuffs to, to snap the cuff on the left-hand arm of Dante. For whatever reason, a very amicable um, stop at this point. There's no bells and whistles. There's nothing to say that this is out of the ordinary. For whatever reason, Dante Wright says, I'm about to bolt to where he shakes off the left hand, jumps in his vehicle, and tries to drive away. Now, let me just say this. 
this is a very, very routine traffic stop. If you get pulled over for a warrant, they're going to take you to county jail. You're going to be able to post a bond. You'll be out in a day. You'll be out. Now, every, every cop that I've talked to, um, listen, this is no big deal. Like, this is, this is no big deal. For whatever reason, he chose, um, he decided to jump in the car and try to get away. Tried to get away. Try at that point he began to resist arrest, to jump back into the car and try to drive away. And that's when all of the melee began to ensue. As unfortunate as this is, and, and this is tragic. He was 20 years old. Uh, apparently he just had a little baby. Um, so he was a 20-year-old father. I think he had a daughter. Um, as tragic as this, as, as tragic as this was, as tragic as this was, um, this is not an incident of the cops targeting black people. This was not uh, two cops who were riding down the street and deciding to pull over black people. Like the narrative that is being put out on the news is there it is. Another black man has been killed by the cops. That's the headline. But can we talk if the warrant is yours, you have a warrant. There is a, there is a live warrant for your arrest. You got pulled over because your registration was not in order. And then when they put the cuffs on you to take you to jail, they didn't, they, they wasn't taking the passenger to jail. They ran his information too. He came back fine. The passenger wasn't going to jail. So you could have went, the passenger could have took the car, took it home. They were going to allow him to do that. But for whatever reason, you decided that it was in your best interest to get away or to try to get away. The thinking beyond that is, um, I don't know, okay? But the idea that blacks are being hunted by the police is absurd. Now, if we want to talk about specific police policies that need reform, we absolutely can have concrete conversations about specific things that need to be addressed in talking about police reform. And I've talked about this on the podcast ad nauseum. The thing that happened Last month, I mean, excuse me, last year, last May with George Floyd, um, George Floyd was the catalyst to really begin to start bringing some of these conversations to the forefront so that we can really start to address these particular issues. And one of the issues that we talked about was police um, um, immunity. Um, that's being put on the table right now. Um, the body cam footage, the unedited body cam footage that is released within 48 hours of any event to make sure that transparency is shown to the public at large. These are things that came from last May with George Floyd. So as tragic as George Floyd was, um, there is coming some change, some positive change in regards to police relations in communities of color or high crime areas, right? 
And so this particular footage with Dante Wright, the same thing with um, um, Brother Toledo in Chicago, the, the, the police footage, the body cam footage was released within 48 hours of the incident unedited. And there is easily found on, on online, easily found, easily found online. And so when I'm looking at the narrative and I'm looking at the cops that I know and I'm asking them about, um, you know, a, a simple traffic stop. Um, as I was getting ready to say his name, and, and thank you, Lord, I didn't want to say his name. As the officer told me on Sunday, uh, he said, Pastor Holman, he says, one of the things that I do, if I see on that particular day and I'm doing traffic stops for that day and that's my assignment and I see somebody with a, with a bad registration or, 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 you know, a taillight or whatever the case may be, he say, I assure you the only thing that I have in mind is what I'm pulling that person over for. I'm not looking for no trouble. I'm not looking for nothing. This is a part of my job. You have something wrong with your vehicle. It is my job to pull you over. And whatever happens, that's my job. I'm not looking for anything outside of that particular traffic stop. He says, but when I go up to that particular driver, it escalates immediately. And so when, when, when I'm talking about black America and we're looking at these isolated events that is adding so much fuel to the fire, I am saying this. Unfortunately, not unfortunately. Yeah, I guess it's unfortunately. Um, in my 48 years, I've been pulled over hmm, 10 or so times, I guess, um, for, you know, traffic stops. Um, I shared with you last week or week before last, whenever that was, um, I've been pulled over with my firearm. Um, I've never had an incident with a police officer, white, black, Hispanic, um, Asian. I've never had an incident with a police officer. Um, I can't think of anybody in my immediate circle, in my broader circle to that context that has had a negative um, encounter with a police officer. And I've, I've tried to rack my brain. And even those in my family that, praise God, that are, you know, um, I've never had those personal interactions that I'm seeing on TV. Uh, as I've channeled my friends and my associates, trying to look for specific examples of racism um, when they've been pulled over by cops or been pulled over by law enforcement in general. Uh, I don't hear those examples. Um, I don't hear um, examples of cops calling black men niggers, uh, boys, talking to them like they're five years old. Um, I don't hear those examples. Now, again, it's because when we look at isolated events, we look at them within the microcosm of that event. And, and the thing that, that, that is bewildering to me is why we can't have all the conversation. Not just talk about this, not just talk about this, not just talk about um, um, Dante Wright, not just talk about Salido, not just talk about these particular instances that are flooding the airways, but why can't we talk about what's going on in our own communities? Do you know that a black man is 70% more likely to be killed by a black man than he is any other race? Do you know that? That's in the FBI crime statistics. 
that I, as a black man, have a 70, uh, 70% more chance of being killed by another black man than I do a white man, Indian, Asian, or whatever. I'm 70% more likely to be killed by another black man. But when we're talking about, when we're talking about brother uh, Heath, I uh, forget his name, Heath Williams, um, this, I think his name is Williams. Please don't, don't, don't quote me on that. I'll make sure that I provide a link for that. Um, this, this young brother in California who was uh, graduated at 16 years old, uh, had his entire future ahead of him, just got accepted into MIT, had a, uh, had a prosperous future ahead of him, went to a graduation party and got killed that night because of a skirmish that broke out in that party and was killed by another black man. Now, Brother Heath never got any marches. And I guarantee you, most of you guys have never even heard of Brother Heath. Uh, but he was black. His life got snuffed out at 16 years old. Bright future ahead of him. Had the world as his oyster. But nobody talked about him being snuffed out by another black man. Did his life matter? Was his life not worthy of marching? Was his life not worthy of addressing? Was his life not worthy of a, a march, a protest? to stand out against the violence that took him out. His mother's crying just like everybody else's mother is crying. So when we have conversations in these pockets, in these, in these vacuums, it skews the conversation so that we can't address the issues in a very, very holistic way. I believe in solutions and I believe solutions are what's going to get us, <clears throat> excuse me, past the problems that we are facing. Now, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you love it, whether you hate it, the conversations need to be had. They need to be had. Um, as I said with George Floyd, uh, Chauvin and his defense team tried to, you know, tried to do the wham, bamboozle thing. Um, but the evidence is so overwhelming that the use of excessive force on George Floyd was directly attributed to his death. Anybody from a, from a, from a nine-year-old all the way up, and they talked about a nine-year-old uh, because a nine-year-old was one of the four bystanders that was standing on the, sti the sidewalk watching this stuff go on. So they, they, they uh, cross-examined. The nine-year-old was a witness in the case. And the nine-year-old understood that Chauvin was using excessive force. Nobody's disagreeing with that. Nobody with any sense is going to disagree with the fact that excessive force was used and that excessive force was directly contributed to George Floyd breathing his last. Okay? So there is going to be the judicial system will bring forth a verdict of guilty on Officer Chauvin, or it should. Now, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? In the meantime of talking about cops and their interactions with the community, we can address specific issues that need to be addressed. And this is why I have personally kicked back against defunding the police, because defunding the police is going to adversely affect black people more than it will affect any other people.
because the crime is in Third Ward. It's not in River Oaks. The crime is in Fifth Ward, Sunnyside, South Park. It's not in Bel Air. So by defunding the police, not having the presence, not being able to call when something is going on to get that immediate response is going to adversely affect people of color more than it will affect other people. And so when we're talking about specific police reform, we need to do that in a holistic conversation that brings solutions to the table. And so in the symposium, uh, one man talked about that the communities in which we patrol should be patrolled by the people who live in the community. Here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. Everybody's trying to get out of the community because of the crime in the community. So most of the people who are patrolling the communities don't live in the communities that they are patrolling. Right. So so one of the things that I believe and we talked about this with, with an officer here on Sunday is that training and education goes a long way. Training and education goes a long way. De-escalation. We talked about mental health here last week on the podcast, understanding these things, uh, sending mental health experts or police that have been trained in mental health to de-escalate these particular situations as opposed to sending somebody off the beat um, who is engaging in these particular things, having people qualified in many different areas other than knowing how to handle their firearm, having them qualified in several areas of knowing how to incorporate their communities will help. Okay. But talking about specific issues to address the specific needs that we have is what we have to do. Not talking about these things in the vacuum of the news lines and the news stories that are going on all throughout our land. So, Black America, as we're looking at black America, uh, I am going to highlight um, not the extraordinary. I'm going to highlight people that are doing extraordinary things because uh, I believe that it is within black America to do great things. Um, if you're looking at the 157th Congress of the United States of America, it is the most diverse it has ever been since the inception of Congress. We have more black people, we have more women, we have more religions than we've ever had in Congress throughout its entire history. Right now, there are 146 African-American mayors in the United States of America. Here in the, the wonderful city of Houston, which is quickly approaching the third largest city in America, uh, we just had before Sylvester Turner, who is going in his second term, ending his second term. Before then, we had Anise Parker, who was a uh, white um, LGBT in the fourth going on the third largest city in America. Mayor Lightfoot, um, who is the mayor of Chicago, who is an African-American female, who is also of the LGBT community. And so apparently... Black people and minorities and those who are in all of these other classes that we like to put people in are not doing as well as we think we are. And the problem to this, everybody, and, and just hear me as we bring this to a close, people are not homogenous. OK, you can't just put people in a box and expect all people to operate within that box. You can't just put people in a block, a box because that's where you're comfortable with putting them. OK. And when you're looking at black America, don't define black America by an incident. 
Don't define black America by an incident. Okay, the numbers of black America, and which is why I have said many and many and many and many times before, I don't personally know anybody right now that is on the fringe of life. Now, I know people, um, but the people that I know are hardworking, uh, people who love their families, who are trying to do the best that they can to make sure that their families are in the best position possible. And I, I think we ought to push back from this idea and de-escalate all of this heated talk about white against black, black against white, and all of these ethnicities against other ethnicities. <laughs> uh, I told the men last night, we're hearing a whole lot about the, 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 the um, crisis on the southern border, but you're not hearing about the crisis in Miami. Uh, it has not even made the news that you have all of these Haitians that are fleeing Haiti. Now, I've been to Haiti 23 times. They're fleeing Haiti. They're rioting in Haiti right now, burning stuff down in Port-au-Prince, right outside the airport. You have people that are leaving Haiti, getting on boats and trying to make their way to America on boats. And some are making it to the shores of Miami. Haitian Americans, Haitians who are fleeing their country for political reasons, persecutions, getting to the shores of Miami only for the U.S. government and custom controls to send them back to Haiti. But you don't hear about a, 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 the, the border crisis in Haiti. You don't hear about the black people trying to get into America because they are escaping the political pressures of their own country, the persecutions of their own country, the violence in their own country. The same thing that's happening on the southern border with everybody coming from Guatemala, Honduras, and Mexico because they are escaping those conditions and giving all of these asylums to the tune of $60 million a week. But you don't hear about that with the Haitian people coming to Miami, looking for that same safety, escaping that same violence, escaping that same political um, persecution. They're doing the same thing, but you don't hear about that. That's not making the news. But it's happening even right now today as we are speaking that they are sending Haitians and Cubans back to their countries when they are trying to escape the very same thing that everybody on the southern border is trying to escape as well. So don't look at these things in isolated moments. Don't look at them in pockets. Don't look at them in, in this or that. Take a step back. And as you are engaging in this conversation, um, I believe that we got to have intentional conversations with people um, and bring grassroots solutions to the issues that we're talking about. Not just to speak at them ad nauseum, not just to speak of them because that's what's going on. We need to have grassroots solutions to the problems that are facing our nation. Um, because everybody, I truly believe, and maybe it's a kumbaya moment, um, maybe that's why um, Brother Martin and, and Brother Malcolm um, um, met their demise the way that they did, the, the way that they did. 
Uh, I believe it takes everybody in order for us to all get to the place to where God wants us to be. And I know it's almost like a kumbaya moment. <laughs> I'm even hesitant to say it um, at times because of the environments that we're in. But um, I believe it takes the entire, I, I believe it takes everybody. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm asking in Jesus' name that we have the kind of conversations that can help bring forth the solutions that will fix the problems that we're facing. Now, I don't have the time to do it, but ultimately at the base of all of this is sin. Um, I say that as a pastor. I say that as a Christian. Um, But I do believe that there are some problems that can be fixed if we come to the table and talk through the issues um, in logical manners and bring forth logical solutions. So everybody, as you're looking at black America, um, please don't feel sorry for black America. Black America is doing quite well. Um, Black America um, is making, um, is accomplishing great things. Uh, Black America is resilient. Um, They are determined. Um, And we don't need handouts. Black America is doing great things. Um, Please, as we are trying to reconcile this nation, Realize that each person must play their own particular part. And the things that unite us are far greater than the things that divide us. So please, everybody, um, (laughs) take a step back, go behind the headline, um, do your research, and add value to the conversation as opposed to dousing more fuel on the fire. I want to thank you guys, man. Uh, please, um, in May, we got four fantastic, dynamic, entrepreneurial, educated, um, knocking it out the park um, ladies that are going to be a part of the podcast. And they're anywhere from double doctorates to uh, the heads of their industry, engineering, Um, to um, the chief of staff of NASA. Uh, So they're all going to be on the podcast uh, next month. Make sure that you're tuning in because I want you to hear their stories. And I want you to see what they've had to go through. And I want you to see the resilience that it took in order for them to get to where where they currently are. And I want them to be an inspiration to you because I want to make them the norm because they are the norm. Normalizing success. That's going to be next next week, next month. Make sure that you tune in. Thank you so very much, everybody, for your followership, for your viewership. Make sure that you like, follow, and subscribe. We're approaching 5,000. Uh, that's a great number, but we also need to get to that 10,000 that we are looking to do. And with your help, I know that we can get there. Thank you so very much for joining us here on the set of Studio B. God bless you. May God keep you in all of your ways until we see you next week.